Uh, it is it is Father's Day apparently today, so this is a special Father's Day lecture. We always try to take advantage of these particular holidays or whatever they're called in order to do something special. I should say off the bat here that uh, June the 28th and July the 5th we will have no classes and we will be back here on July the 12th because Yesterday was the longest day, and now all the days are getting shorter, and of course it'll snow here in a couple of days in Alaska. So we are in mourning. We no longer have July or June the 21st to, uh, or the 20th to look forward to. We lose something like six or seven seconds today, and it's horrible. It's just absolutely depressing. Okay, if I'm ready to go, then I think I'm ready to go. Today is June the 21st. Uh, 2020, lecture discussion number 107 on the book of Joel, Daniel, Revelation, Ecclesiastes. And lately, uh, within the scope or the confines uh, of the current methodology, which is, if you remember, it's uh, me grasping about, some might insist that that's flailing. I think it's more precise than flailing, but I won't argue. Um, it, flailing uh, about is probably uh, certainly defensible. In any event, uh, eventually, by whatever means that I'm able to accomplish, subjects are captured and, and then they're just flung, flung at the uh, most uh, holy platinum model reversing dry erase board, at which point they all assemble themselves into a coherent collection. It's a tidy, uh, pristine, organized exhibition of materials that when observed by the mass audience, the vast Internet audience or the congregation, whichever is the most now, we're not so sure, probably down to we might be winning the four of us. Uh, we, this is a holiday. But anyway, uh, when you observe this fantastical uh, assemblage of information, there is, uh, well, there's just marveling going on. People just utter uh, well, size of contentment is probably more accurate. But in any event, that's what we're trying to do. And thus far, none of what I just said have occurred. Uh, it's all pretty much been disheveled uh, chaos. Uh, I'm, it's, I'm running amok. That's, uh, that would be the consensus description, I believe. Nevertheless, uh, I endeavor to persevere with this stratagem, whatever you might call it. And so far, I have done a few things lately. I say that I have the days of Noah. I have the day of Noah. I have the days of Lot. And the day of Lot. I have remember Lot's wife. And then the day of the Son of Man. And the days of the Son of Man. Oops. And I have been making the case as best I can that there is a relationship between all of those components. And that, of course, is Luke 17. That's received the most attention here lately. So, uh, uh, somehow, there's, a, there's equivalences here 
in the days of the Son of Man, in the day of the Son of Man with regard to Lot and Noah. Oops, the day, I forgot the day of Lot right here, huh? I got ahead of myself. So all of these fit together in some kind of uh, feathering, if you will. Jesus Christ, the infinite creator, God himself in the flesh, says at Luke 17, 26 through 32, as it is in the days of Noah, as it is, likewise it will be in the days of Lot, and therefore it is the same as, if you will, the son of man's day and days. Just as Noah had a day, Lot had a day, so also the Son of Man will have a day and days. They all have days, they all have day. That's Luke 17.24, Luke 17.30. Likewise as it was, it will also be. And in that day, the day of the Son of Man, and that's the one we're obviously the most interested in. People are asking me, why are you doing this Luke 17 over and over and over again? It is because, well, people, when I say people, I mean maybe just one or two of you. But the whole interest that I have is is that we need to know, I believe we need to know, the church should know, as much as we can about the days of the Son of Man and the day of the Son of Man. And this is the way to learn what it is, because he associates it with Lot, Noah, and Lot's wife. Ah. So in that day, the day of the Son of Man, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. That's what he says. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. Now, the preserve, that preservation aspect is important because that fits with Lot's wife. And the reason it fits with Lot's wife, uh, who was taken out of Sodom by the hand of angels, she is taken out by the hand and she is covered in salt. And salt, of course, is a preservative, uh, Leviticus 2.13. Salt is an aspect, if not the aspect, of the covenant of God. And, and, and you might have supposed that I would not have said when I mentioned Lot's wife, I wouldn't have said Leviticus 2.13. I might have said uh, Genesis 19.26. But obviously, Lot's wife, in her attempt to return to Sodom, did so knowing that she would lose her life in Sodom. I have made that case for many, many years. That's Genesis 19.16. Lot's wife is incredibly complex. And somehow she is associated with the day of the Son of Man and the days of the Son of Man. And I think when you begin to figure out how she's associated, you get a more clearer, you get more clarity with respect to what the Bible is trying to tell us about her. And to repeat it a different way, Christ talks about Lot's wife. With respect to his day. And that's a reference back to Genesis 19. Of the three signs, frankly, of, of the days of Noah and the day of Noah and the days of Lot and the day of Lot. Remember, Lot's wife is far more complex and mysterious than those two, in my opinion. She is the difficult one. And I would expect that to be the case because of how she is framed by Christ himself. Uh, Let me go over this really quickly. So, or try to repeat it and try to make it simpler, I hope. The days and the day of Noah and the days and the day of Lot and the pillar of salt that is Lot's wife are three things that tell us incredible amounts of information with regard to the day of the Son of Man. And to repeat, I submit that Lot's wife is the most difficult. I've received recently from a, uh, a lady 
who is very interested in this. Uh, she has uh, essentially taken a great many of my positions over the years. Uh, hi, Mary Ann. Her name is Mary Ann. And she put together an 11-page dissertation on it that's frankly uh, impressive and remarkable. Uh, and so uh, she is doing exactly what I would want all of us to do at some point, and that is pay attention to these things because they are incredible at this particular time, I believe. What's motivating me is what I'm watching around me. Again, to repeat some of it, salt is a preservative. It preserves. So that means, and she is a pillar of it, and a pillar of salt, it takes you to the pillar of cloud and, and all of the pillars Salt is good. It is declared by God himself, Luke 14, 34, Mark 9, 50. Keep that to, it, that to the forefront that God is good. I'm sorry, salt is good. It is uh, something special in Scripture. If salt is removed from where it is, what it is covering, whatever it is removed from, uh, will no longer be preserved. It will be uh, it will go into putrefaction. Matthew 5.13, he says, is a famous verse. Everyone knows. He describes his disciples. He describes ultimately, by extension, the church. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He puts salt and light together. The salt, he's saying that his disciples, Christ does, is the salt that's in the world and the light that is in the world. If removed or reduced, the world quickly rushes into corruption and darkness. And, and, and well, that's what I think is happening. I think we see a reduction of salt. The church is reducing. Uh, I think it has been reducing since probably the 1950s. Uh, I, I see Philadelphia declining and Laodicea rising. Again, I have the concurrent position. So that reduction is causing the world, in my, and this is not just my opinion, this is what God says. When the salt is reduced, then the world uh, which is what we're preserving right now. This, the world is the dead body, and the salt is in the dead body trying to keep it from going into rot. So, this is a matter of just watching this process in our time, in my view. He tells us, doesn't he, watch. He, t- he says, watch therefore. And then he tells us what to watch for. Does that make sense? Watch, and here's what you watch for. You watch for the repeating of the days of Noah, and the day of Noah, and the repeatings of the days of Lot, and the day of Lot, and you watch for Lot's wife. When you see these things, and he's telling this to Israel, when you, his, to the Jewish disciples, and they're asking for the sake of Israel. When you see that, when you have this understanding, then you will figure out the Son of Man, the day of the Son of Man. So, to repeat things that I've said many times, Lot's wife did not return to Sodom. She tried, but she didn't make it. She was stopped by salt. And Christ says, remember her, remember salt. 
Anyway, these three signs give us insight into the end of the days of the Gentiles. And that's we started that a few weeks ago. I believe the end of the days of the Gentiles began with the World War, the first World War in the history of man post-flood. So that's when we had a world war. Uh, that began the end of the days of the Gentiles. Not the end, I'm sorry, the beginning of the end of the days. Not the end of the days. The, the, the days of the Gentiles are obviously uh, have a length to them, in my view, and I think that's obviously been revealed by history. So clearly I am suggesting that the days of the Son of Man and the day of the Son of Man are looming, and the world is on the precipice. Uh, it's, a, it's about to fracture. I think we can see that. It is lurching. I know it's happened previously in history in the World War periods, but the world is much more, uh, how do I say this, much more corrupted in sin than I think since Sodom and Noah. It is stumbling. It reels to and fro as if a drunkard. That's Isaiah 24.20. We'll be doing that in a minute. The world is, is prophesied by the prophet Isaiah as, as being as if it is drunk. And to be clear, Isaiah 24, 18 through 23 is a description. So 24, 18 through 23, that description.